Hello, and welcome to Inside Oxford Science, a podcast from the University of Oxford investigating the hottest new science topics. My name's Marcus de Sotoy, and I'm a professor of mathematics here at the University of Oxford and the Simoni Professor for the Public Understanding of Science. In this podcast, a slice of pie to go with your mathematics. On March the 14th, at 1.59 precisely, mathematics departments across the land will be popping the champagne bottles, but more importantly, tucking into a great feast of pies in celebration of the most important number in mathematics, pi. It's not just Homer Simpson who can go doughy-eyed and start salivating at the sight of pi. In mathematics, this number has obsessed generations of mathematicians for millennia. And that's because it's related to one of the most important geometric objects in nature, the circle. The number defines the ratio of the circumference of a circle to its diameter. Whatever the size of the circle, this ratio will always be the same. So, if a circle is one metre across, then the number of metres it takes to go around the outside of the circle is 3.14159, and then the numbers spiral off to infinity in a dizzying dance of digits. And it's the digits of pi that define the date for the celebration of Pi Day. The first digit gives you the month, so 3 translates into March. The next two digits give you the date, so 14 gives us the 14th. The next three digits, 159, give you the time celebrations kickoff, hence 159. Most mathematicians interpret this time as PM rather than AM. The afternoon is generally a better time for pi. Calculating an exact value for this important number has been one of the big themes that has run throughout the history of mathematics, right back to ancient times. There's even a calculation of pi in the Bible. The 23rd verse of Kings, chapter 1, reads, Ten cubits from one brim to the other, it was round all about, and a line of thirty cubits did compass it about. This gives a value of pi as exactly three, although if this was its true value, it would mean circles would actually look more like hexagons. One of the very first significant mathematical documents in the history of my subject is the Egyptian rhined papyrus written by an Egyptian scribe, Achmes, in about 1650 BC. Housed in the British Museum, it is full of fantastic mathematics, including ideas of how to use binary numbers to do multiplication 3,000 years before the German mathematician Leibniz would reveal their true potential. There are cunning discussions of fractions and puzzles about geometric series. And, significantly for the architects of the time, there's also the first calculation of the volume of a pyramid, proved using an early forerunner of the calculus. But contained in this papyrus is a calculation which leads to one of the first estimates for a value for pi. Achmes tries to estimate the area of a circular field whose diameter is 9 units across. Because the area of a circle is pi times the radius squared, if we know the area and we know the radius, we can calculate pi. Achmi's calculation of the area is particularly striking because it depends on seeing how the shape of the circle can be approximated by shapes that the Egyptians already understood. The Rhine papyrus states that a circular field with a diameter of 9 units is equal in area to a square with sides of 8. But how would this relationship have been discovered? 
My favourite theory sees the answer in the ancient game of Mancala. Mancala boards were very popular during this period and were even found carved on the roofs of temples. The boards consist of two rows of circular holes. Each player starts with an equal number of stones and the object of the game is to move round the board capturing your opponent's counters on the way. As the players sat around waiting to make their next move, perhaps one of them realised that sometimes the stones filled the circular holes in the Mancala board in a rather nice way. For example, you can have one stone in the centre surrounded by six stones in a hexagonal shape around the central stone. The player might have gone on to experiment with making larger circles and discovered that 64 stones can be arranged to make a large circle with diameter 9 stones. But 64 stones can also be rearranged into an 8 by 8 square. So now Achmes can estimate the area of the circle whose diameter is 9 units. By rearranging the stones, the circle has been approximated by a square whose area is 64 units. Now recall that the area of a circle is pi times the radius squared. The radius in this case is 4.5, so Achmes' calculation gives the first estimate for pi as the area, 64, divided by the radius squared, 4.5 squared, which comes out at 256 over 81, or approximately 3.16. Not bad for a first estimate. As mathematics developed, so more cultures had a go at trying to capture this important number. Like our Mancala player, the ancient Greek mathematician Archimedes also tried to capture the circle using other shapes he was able to analyse more easily. Archimedes started by drawing a triangle inside and outside the circle. The triangle doesn't look much like the circle, but what if he now doubles the number of sides and replaces the triangles with hexagons? Hexagons are a bit closer to the circle. By doubling the number of sides each time, the shapes inside and outside the circle will get closer and closer to the circle. In fact, we sometimes say that a circle is a regular polygon with an infinite number of sides. Archimedes didn't go as far as infinity. He stopped when he got to a shape with 96 sides. But using this shape, he was able to estimate that pi lay between 223 over 71 and 22 over 7. This is actually where we get the approximation that most engineers use for pi, namely 22 over 7. In fact, engineers celebrate Pi Day on July 22nd, but then they don't care quite so much about precision as the mathematician does. In 6th century India, the mathematician Arabayata came up with a very accurate approximation for pi, namely 3.1416. He went on to use this to measure the circumference of the Earth, and he got it as 24,835 miles. That's amazingly only 70 miles away from its true value. But it was in Kerala, in the south of India, in the 15th century, that another Indian mathematician, Madhava, realised he could use the idea of infinity to get an exact formula for pi. By successively adding and subtracting different fractions, Madhava discovered that he could hone in on an exact formula for pi. He declared that if you start with a number 4, and then you take away 4 thirds, then add 4 fifths, then take away 4 sevenths, and then add back 4 ninths, and you keep on doing this, 
each time alternating between 4 divided by the next odd number, then when you've done this infinitely many times, you'll hit pi exactly. I was taught at university that this formula for pi was discovered by the 17th century German mathematician Leibniz. But amazingly, it was discovered two centuries earlier in Kerala by Madhavar. It was an amazing discovery because it gives us some hint that the Indians must have known about ideas of the calculus centuries before Newton and Leibniz proposed their ideas. The formula, although beautiful, is not very practical for calculating pi. You have to add up a lot of fractions before it starts honing in on pi. But it's another Indian mathematician, Ramanujan, who came up with another infinite formula which converges incredibly quickly on a value for pi. Ramanujan's story is one of the most romantic in the history of mathematics and formed the basis of a play I was involved in done by Complicité called A Disappearing Number. Just before the First World War, Ramanujan, an untrained Hindu clerk in Madras, writes to Hardy, a professional mathematician in Cambridge, with his mathematical discoveries. Hardy realises Ramanujan is a genius and invites him to Cambridge. While the mathematics they produce is fantastic, nobody quite understands Ramanujan's Brahmin ways. He becomes deeply depressed, malnourished and tries to throw himself in front of a London underground train. Although he survived, tragically he died shortly after returning to India at the age of 32. We're still studying today the mathematics that Ramanujan discovered, and his formula for pi is used by many computers to calculate its value efficiently. Modern mathematical methods and computing power mean that we know pi to a staggering trillion digits. Of course, no one needs to know so many values for the practical purposes of calculating circumferences. You only need to know 39 digits to be able to calculate the circumference of a circle the size of the observable universe to the precision comparable to the size of a hydrogen atom. Even more impressively, in my opinion, is the fact that we develop methods which enable you to say what the quadrillionth digit is without ever having to calculate all the previous digits. But such detailed knowledge is not the point. For a mathematician, the fascinating thing about pi is how often it crops up in so many different areas of mathematics mechanics, statistics, probability theory, prime number theory. Pi makes rather an intriguing appearance in calculations done by the Comte de Buffon, a French naturalist from the middle of the 18th century. If you take a needle and a page of lined paper whose lines are separated by the same distance as the length of the needle, then if you continuously throw the needle onto the page, then the proportion of times the needles will cross a line when it lands is 2 divided by pi. Called Buffon's needle, this gives you a physical way of calculating pi. Keep chucking down the needles, and the more you toss, the better your estimate for pi should be. But pi has also fascinated many writers too. In Carl Sagan's novel Contact, although prime numbers are used by aliens to get our attention, the ultimate message is embedded in the expansion of pi. There's even a film named after the number, which features a mathematician, Max Cohen, as its central character, and he's convinced he's found an important pattern in the decimal expansion of the number. He believes this sequence will help him to predict the stock market, and that it even contains Kabbalistic messages from God. In true Hollywood stereotyping of the mad mathematician, Max gets crazier as the film progresses 
but his passion for finding patterns perfectly captures what drives the mathematician. It turns out that the decimal expansion is probably the wrong place to look for patterns in pi. Mathematicians proved in the early 20th century that it's more than likely that any number taken at random will contain whatever pattern you might want to find embedded somewhere in its decimal expansion. So it's probable that Max will find the ASCII code for Melville's novel Moby Dick as well as Kabbalistic messages from God encoded somewhere in the decimal expansion of this number. The use of decimal numbers is anyway a very human construct, depending on the fact that we have ten fingers. If we had evolved with a different human anatomy, say with eight fingers, pi would look very different. Of course, it would still be the same number, expressing the unchanging ratio between the circumference and the diameter of a circle. But using powers of eight, rather than powers of ten as our natural base, would mean pi began 3.110375, and so on. So, if you watch an episode of The Simpsons this week, and they happen to celebrate Pi Day, then Homer, with his eight fingers, should be celebrating it on the 11th of March, in the early hours of the morning. Even if he is celebrating it on a different day, as mathematicians will all be agreeing with him when his eyes glaze over and he longingly sighs, Mmm, Pi.